And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Lights out and away we go. Welcome to a championship edition of the No Breaks podcast, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're joining us on Apple Podcasts, if you're on Spotify, if you're on the Athletic app, if you're using Podbean, if you're part of the Slipstream here watching live on YouTube, or if you're a pod squatter afterwards, you made a great call joining the podcast today. We got a spicy one, Graydon. I'm your host, Trey Kirby. We got JD on the phone with Michael Massey trying to figure out what happened in Abu Dhabi. And of course, we've got our local F1 expert, Graydon Gordian, who's been searching through the entire Formula One rule book this morning, trying to figure out if the right calls were made in Abu Dhabi. Graydon, great to be talking to you this morning, buddy. You know, I... I... No words for what we've just witnessed, but this is a podcast, so I guess we'll have to find some. I, just an incredible ending. I, I think we'll discuss whether it was a fair or just ending, but an incredible <laughs> one to an incredible season. I, I somebody I saw somebody on Twitter saying that it it felt like it was uh, you know a bad ending, but I actually feel like it was incredibly fitting, given the insanity and the drama and the mania that has just been wall to wall this year. It feels like this was right on par with everything else. So unlike anything we've ever seen. Maybe it shouldn't have come down to the very, very, very last lap of the season for the championship, but it 100% did. And like you're saying, Graydon, you say, I don't have words for what happened. I have a lot of notes for what happened, but we had to throw them out at about lap 53, I think. I think that's when Nicholas Latifi went out. Oh, baby. And that's when the safety car came out. Safety car. Is the safety car taking home driver of the day today? We shall see. Uh, let's just hop into it. I guess uh, lap 57 is when the safety car decides to come in. I don't know. They're in the middle of the safety car right now. Lewis Hamilton is in P1. Max Verstappen is in P2 after Latifi crashes. Uh, Verstappen pits for fresh, soft tires. Hamilton stays out, and you could hear him. He was nervous on the radio. Lap 56, Perez retires, and we hear on the radio, lap cars, they're not allowed to overtake. Max Verstappen, he was upset at this point. Typical decision. His engineer says, classic, like a recording a No Dunks podcast. But wait, there's more. Lap 57. Wait! We are racing. Let those cars through, or at least some of them, and we have a one-lap drag race, basically, between Verstappen and Hamilton for the championship. Verstappen eventually takes it. Graydon, break down 100% of the things that happened in this race. (laughs) This is an incredibly wild and peculiar ending. Obviously, I think that 
you know, Massey and everybody involved did not want to end the race under a safety car. They didn't want to end the season under safety car. That's, uh, you know, does not feel like this, you know, befitting, you know, the quality of the competition we had seen. Um, That being said, they find themselves in an incredibly peculiar spot because if you let everyone unlap themselves, you're risking that not, you know, not being able to have that final lap. They were right there on the edge. In, in what is an incredibly peculiar move, they only let five cars unlap themselves after they announce it. Vettel on forward, which is the cars that separated Max and Hamilton. In some sense, you get why they did this. Those were the only cars of any significance to the title race. In another sense, it's inc- it's completely unclear why they did that because that doesn't appear to be the regulations whatsoever. <laughs> the regulations yeah, are that yeah. all of the like that all of the lap cars get to unlap themselves. So it, it, it's I mean, there's a lot of people screaming that they made up the rules on the spot and. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. it definitely argument. feels like that. Great, <laughs> that I, I don't know the did. rules well enough, but we're in <laughs> we're in more than one Formula One uh, group chat here, and in one of them, we had one of your buddies like videotaping his screen, replaying the audio of uh, the broadcasters talking about which cars are going to be let through and when they will and if they won't and when they passed and when they didn't. I'm seeing you sending screenshots of lap times. Uh, between the different competitors. Uh, I'm seeing screenshots of the actual Formula One rule book. It doesn't feel like only the cars that are in the way need to get out of the way to me, but also I can understand uh, the the FIA's uh, standpoint that we want to end on a race. Like it was much more exciting this way uh, to end it- the season with actual racing, but... Uh, this is just wild stuff, man. If you're a Mercedes fan, you're saying this was a stolen championship. And if you're a Max Verstappen fan, you're saying, hey, it's been all about racing today. Even the early decisions, they said it was about motor racing. And 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 I do, Massey's response to Toto Wolf, Michael Massey, race director, who, you know, Toto Wolf was quickly on the phone to complaining about, you know, the decision there at the end, you know, responded by saying, it, you know, it's called motor racing to- Toto. And, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's about the only defense that Massey has for their decision, which is that, you know, we, what we didn't if you had to make a defensive Massey, which I'm not even sure that I'm d- doing, I, but but if you had to, you would say that the letter of the law was not followed. What they wanted to do was follow the spirit of the law and and let them go racing and and let the two cars be competitive. However, at the same time, it it's just not as simple as that, and and it it does feel as if you know th- this is a decision where there was big it just there was going to be a clear winner or loser of this decision which sucks right if you don't let them unlap themselves the race is over in reality i understand that they they have to those cars are going to get waved they're going to get blue flags but you can't overtake five cars in one lap even under mm-hmm. blue flags and then pass hamilton if they don't do this the season is over period right so it so and they didn't want that they wanted something competitive however at the same time it's such a wild advantage 
for them. I'd also like to point out that Hamilton does an incredible job actually on the final lap defending and fighting back on tires that are, you know, 40 plus laps over. Yeah. He still races an incredible lap and nearly pulls it off despite that fact. I think, again, just showing what an incredible racer Hamilton is, his ability to defend and, and you know, is, is exceptional. So I don't know. This is, it's definitely, this is very shocking. I, I really wish, I really wish that this had all ended I'll put it like this. This is fun and exciting and made for great television, but I really wish it had ended in a way that didn't result in us debating regulations for the next 48 hours or rest of our lives. <laughs> and had ended in a way where we were kind of celebrating a champion. It's kind of what I wish, you know, that but at the same time, I'm sure the producers of Drive to Survive are thrilled. Oh man. <laughs> Nicholas Latifi is going to be getting a gift basket from the Red Bull camp. You would have to be thinking the guy scored seven points the entire Formula One season, but was one of the three most important drivers, really, when it came down to it. Uh, I don't know, Graydon. It felt completely nonsensical to me the way it happened. I think Verstappen is like a super deserving champion over the course of the entire season. But I also don't think he really deserved to get this win, which was the win that really, really mattered. But, I mean, it's not really his call. Or was it? Because as they were in the midst of the virtual safety car, and, or the actual safety car, and they're, you know, deciding, first of all, we hear that uh, they're not going to be allowing all these lapped cars through. And then we hear Red Bull engineers on the phone to Massey B and literally saying, hey, it's a motor race. We're supposed to be motor racing here. And then, I don't know, 15 minutes later, we hear, hey, Toto. This was a motor race. That seemed like a, a game of telephone to me, uh, the way it went down with Massey and the stewards there. But um, I don't know. It made for an exciting ending. And you're right. I mean, it was still thrilling, right? Like, you could have easily imagined that Verstappen with really fresh, soft tires would dust Hamilton right at the beginning of the restart after the safety car. But there was at least a little bit back and forth. I felt my heart a-pounding in my chest as they were going around. But I guess the question then, Graydon, is... Is there a way you could like almost split the difference here? Like nobody wanted it to end under a safety car, which is exactly what would have happened if they would have let all of the lap cars through. Is there any way that they can like, I don't know, be like, we're going to overtime, baby. I, I don't know what else you could have done here. You know, the, the difficult thing about adding laps or something like that is that they, the cars are fueled to a specific amount and to an exacting amount. We've actually seen that happen earlier this year where Vettel didn't have enough fuel at the end of the race, right? And then, and therefore was, you know, disqualified. So they have very exacting amounts of fuel on board. You can't just kind of like go to OT in that way. There are definitely different ways that different, you know, racing series manage this. I believe that IndyCar sends lapped cars to the back of the pack to let people overtake rather than have them go all the way around, which, you know, was a would be a faster way of kind of doing it. And That's and how they should do it, period. Why yeah, do you have to drive all the way around? I guess you want to put the mileage on your tires, right, to make I, it fair for everybody. But come on, and do nobody, it the easy way. Nobody really through. cares about through. the... And nobody really cares about the you know, the, the back markers in this race, I get it. Yeah. But it also is incredibly unfair to like, you know, like Ricardo was like in 13th, right behind <laughs> Vettel. Then Vettel and everybody in front of him gets to like pass and just go on up the road. And he's stuck there because he's already been lapped and never gets a chance. I know nobody cares about these people who are outside the points at this point, but it is it, like, 
I would be very annoyed if I was that driver. And I was like, well, now I'm stuck here in the back. <laughs> I'm stuck here in the back. You know, I, it, it's, it, I don't know. They, that's, somebody is pointing out actually in the comments, and I think this is probably the right move is, is that the minute Latifi goes into the wall, your other option is to red flag the race mm. and say, we, let's preserve the laps. Now, it allows everybody to switch tires. You know, but Max doesn't get the advantage. It, it, it totally negates the, the Hamilton's time advantage, but that was going to be kind of negated either way, you know, um, and it changes the conditions under the restart as they likely do a standing restart. But that would have preserved five laps of racing, pause the race. That's probably what I would have done. But I also think in real time, it's it's hard to say let's just stop the race right now with well yeah you're probably right it is a probably a tough call to say there but we just had the saudi arabian grand prix where going from a yellow flag to a red flag was a huge turning point in that as well and this uh latifi crash this wasn't a minor one right like he didn't just like tap the wall or something like that he really spun out there was debris everywhere it looked pretty clear that they were gonna have to slow things down so if you're able to like preserve the last five laps and everybody's on fresh tires, and everybody's really bunched up, that makes it as exciting as this ended up being, and it makes it actually fair for everybody on all sides. It's it's still It still would have been to Mercedes's disadvantage, but anything but the race ending under safety car was to Mercedes's disadvantage at that time. They, it had eliminated 13 or 14 seconds uh, of time between you know, Max and Hamilton instantaneously. So in that instance, at least it would have been 50, 50, it would have been kind of just like, you know, level playing field. And, you know, Hamilton's a great driver. He's a better starter, normally quicker off the line than Max is, and they've got the faster car. So, you know, that, you know, Mercedes still has to feel good about their odds over those final five laps versus one lap, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely like that. In retrospect, perhaps that's what they should have done. It's just, uh, you know, it's crazy. It was easier easier said than done as well. But certainly there's going to be a lot of criticism of Michael Massey, of the race director for the way he handled it, you know, and the perception that the decisions he made were overwhelmingly to Red Bull's advantage. So I, I think I tweeted with like 15 minutes left in the race or something that unless the racing gods intervene, Lewis had it won, and I guess the racing gods did, in, in fact, decide <laughs> to <laughs> Well, so. you're seeing in the slipstream team, and we're seeing on Twitter that Mercedes is going to be protesting this one. So oh, maybe we do have a Game 7. They bring those two back out, have a Talladega Knights-style foot race between Verstappen and Hamilton to see who is truly the fastest. So I guess things could still be overturned. That seems kind of unlikely to me that they would finish the season and then go back and have to do the last five laps. Am I right, Graydon? I, I, yeah, no, there's, I think that they, if they were to overturn this, which I honestly am probably not going to make a prediction on whether they will (laughs) or not. I truly don't know enough to say whether they will or, or whether they'll want to be perceived as having handed the title from one person to another. But I think what they probably would do would be to, just reset the race to the, you know, prior to allowing the cars to overtake only some of them, which would in fact position Lewis ahead of him and move Mm. Lewis back, you know, 
into the title. That I think that's what they're basically saying is, is that the, that the rest of the race occurred under unfair or outside the regulations conditions and only those laps prior to that should be counted. So that's that, that I, I mean, if they do that, that would be a, a truly wild outcome for the for the title to change hands. Oh, man. I mean, like, in the NBA, they play a 1,000 games, and, like, they never want to do 1.8 seconds of a game that doesn't matter. So that would be incredible if they somehow bring these guys back to actually uh, finish the race. A couple of questions about decisions, Graydon. Um, Mercedes could have pitted Hamilton when the safety car came out. They would have lost track position, but they would have had fresh tires. Was that a mistake? as we see further down the line, or did they make the smartest call they possibly could have at the time? That, uh, at the time, I get their logic, which is that if the, it, it definitely was going to be tight whether or not the race ended under safety car. If Max, if Hamilton pits there and I'm Red Bull, I absolutely probably keep Max out so you can overtake and, and now be in the lead. Mm -hmm. So you're betting that they're going to bring in the safety car and you're going to have enough time to pass. I mean, in retrospect, that that would have been smarter, I guess, given what they did. You know, you would have had pressure tires and been able to battle. But and, the, you know, the roles would have been reversed, although Max was not on as old of tires as Lewis was. Max was on a comparatively fresh set of hards. So overtaking him wouldn't have been as easy. The gap in terms of tire degradation wouldn't have been as large, even for Hamilton. So for me, I actually think they probably made the right choice. It's, it's hard to say that they did, given that you know, it didn't work, but I think that, but I, I think there's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. For me, the mistake they made actually strategically started way earlier, which is that they pit Hamilton on lap 15 or 16 or whatever, right after, you know, Verstappen pits to cover off on the undercut. And that then makes it such that his tires are in such bad shape at this point in the race. I don't think they needed to do that. The mediums he was on were cruising around just fine. His pace was great. The undercut did not seem that powerful. Nobody who did the undercut really managed to gain any positions from it. And in fact, people who went long generally did very well in the race. I think that strategic decision, which at the time seemed like the safe choice, we'll just do whatever Red Bull does so they can't outsmart us in any way, actually has huge ripple effects and puts them in a terrible spot come this final mayhem. And as I'm seeing some people in the strips, Slipstream team mention, about lap 36, there is another virtual safety car and Verstappen pits as well. Hamilton stays out there. And, like, Mercedes gets on the phone to Michael Massey, basically like, please do not give us a full safety car here. We want to stay out on tires. So they had another chance that they also could have switched out Hamilton, got him something a little bit fresher so that he wasn't on his last legs there on the last lap. That's another instance, though, where... They just wanted to be in first. They just wanted to stay in first the whole time. I think, you know, that's a, that's a more, that one I think they probably deserve more criticism for. I think you probably could bring him in because there's so much of the race left and he clearly has pace. And if he goes in, almost certainly Red Bull doesn't go in in that instance. I think the orders were pretty much do whatever Hamilton doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's probably, you know, and that 
to split the strategy there. So then suddenly you find a reverse situation where Max is out in front, but Lewis is on pressure tires with the faster car and probably has the advantage long term, even if near term he's given up the position. Their concern probably was Max is going to be incredibly elbows out with his driving. If he is in front, he's got less to lose if they collide. You know, if they neither of them bring the cars in, he's the champion. So they're, you know, they're they want to keep the position, but gosh, it's 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 definitely there. There was a lot of people in my like Twitter feed criticizing them at the time. You know, in retrospect, again, probably a mistake. But these are all kind of twenty twenty hindsight. I think you know stuff where it was more defensible in the moment. Yeah, it only mattered because we had the crash at the end and then another safety car and then a quick restart. But I mean, even yeah. I think it was lap 36, like I said, that Hamilton or that we have uh, Verstappen pitting when Hamilton doesn't. It was lap 29 that Hamilton's saying this is a long way for these tires to go. So a couple of stoppages, you knew it was really going to be adding up for them. The other yeah, question Latifi I- doesn't put it in the wall and. We're not debating those other virtual safety car stops at all. It's he's Hamilton wins ten seconds clear of Verstappen, and it's it's there's no debate, you know. So, a couple more questions about the the final sort of five laps about this one, Graydon. Are the do you think there will be any sort of changes to the rules going forward from here about how they handle stoppages in the last however many laps of the race? Would that ever be a thing that's kind of factored in, like the actual? you know, point in time in the race where you're like, we got to, we got to preserve the finale here. Uh, Yeah. I, I actually do think that it's possible you'll see rule changes or rule clarifications, perhaps, you know, more hard and fast, you know, rules around when you do and don't have safety cars versus reds, you know, as uh, there definitely is the appearance of it being a little bit arbitrary. I'm not going to go so far as to say that Michael Massey, made biased decisions i kind of genuinely don't believe that he made decisions in an attempt to aid either team but the reality is is the decisions did end up aiding one team over the other and at times they felt arbitrary and they felt inconsistent and that is you know going to be something that they're going to want to address so it's definitely i i i think there is probably things you could do where you make virtual safety cars, safety cars, and reds feel more like pauses in the race and less like things that swing the strategy and swing Mm. the momentum. Yeah, that makes sense to me that, you know, I can understand the, you know, the virtual safety car when there's just like a little tap and you're like, we got to just slow down here to make sure everybody's okay. That I understand. But when it turns into like race deciding stops by, people who are not even involved in the championship, like that's, that can be a little bit of a problem. So they got to figure something out. The other question you're seeing a ton in the slipstream team. And I just don't know how often it happens, but like, could this be the end of Michael Massey as the race director? Is that a position that changes often? Yeah. I mean, it changes often. No, I think actually we, there was a, you know, there, there've been some guys who've been in that role for fairly long stints over the years, but well, let's be real. There's going to be a lot of criticism and there's some very powerful people in the sport who probably are going to be very upset with Michael Massey. And, you know, at the same time, the FIA is 
it, the politics of Formula One are incredibly complicated behind the scenes. It's a it's a very small community of very passionate, very powerful people, and Massey is right at the middle of what will be just an you know the, the most in kind of just such a hot war right between two you know the two most prominent teams in the sport. So I, I definitely think that you know it, it, it's. Yeah, people are pointing out and that, that Charlie Whiting before Massey, you know, had the position for a really long time. That's right. But also people had immense respect for Charlie Whiting, I think, in a way that actually Massey has kind of failed to garner. So why I mean, is that? Why has he failed to garner the same respect? Is it just because he's the new guy or is it because he's sassy Massey? As I think there's him? a little bit of a new guy thing. I also think that, you know, Whiting, who I, I did have a lot of respect for, you know, but he did have the pleasure of, of largely overseeing a bunch of years in which n nothing quite like this ever happened. I mean, sure. in, in Massey's defense, these are in incredibly tough moments to arbitrate and incredibly high stakes decisions he's making on the fly. So it, it, it's, it's it, you know, he's just in a place where I think no matter what he does, some camp is going to be very unhappy. Right, so there, there is no decision that saves him from criticism here, I would argue. Yeah, uh, I think that's right, but it's also a problem when an official becomes one of the three main characters in a championship race. Right, like, I mean, yeah, but I also, like, what's right. he supposed to do? He's supposed to toss it up to the higher-ups and be like, oh, we'll let the stewards figure it out. Because if he does that, it's like, why didn't you make the call? You know, <laughs> if you go back and watch the first... 25 laps of this race, you're th thinking, oh, this thing is rigged for Mercedes with the calls that Michael Massey's making, even Verstappen and his engineers were like, classic decision, screwing us here right at the end. Oh, wait, actually, maybe never, never mind. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you usually hear this much um, back and forth? Is that part of it, too? We're getting more access? I don't know. You do. I mean, there is always a lot of complaining. There's always a lot of people you know, mouthing off to the race director, complaining about decisions. It's 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 fairly common. I, I I just think in this instance that the stakes are so high and this is, you know, was truly decided by the championship was decided by mere meters in the end. You know, it's it, it, you know, so I think people just have a, a you know, I don't know. It's it's I don't think I don't think it's we're seeing an abnormal amount of complaining. It's just the complaints are maybe abnormally intense or sure. they're just a high stakes. They're just regarding things that are incredibly high stakes versus I'm whining about something that happened between cars eight and nine when they got pushed off the track or something like that, which is also happening, but we're just not hearing on the sure. feed because it's, it's not nearly as much interest to us. So. Well, I don't know if you agree with this take, Graydon, but it made me laugh. Michael Massey equals Scott Foster, says DJ in the slipstream team. And it makes me think maybe the NBA should take a page from the Formula One playbook and give us the back and forth between coaches and referees. That would be hilarious to hear. Oh but uh, man, honestly, like Joey Crawford would be proud to see an official that involved with the decisions of a game. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I mean, I think your point that you never want the, the referee to be the main character in the NBA is a great comparison. You really don't want the race director to be such a, you know, the subject of so much discussion and debate as he has been over the last several races. Is it something he could have avoided? I don't know. Uh, the answer is probably not. You know, if somebody 
you know, in the comments here, just said it damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think that's that's about right. But in this, you know, <laughs> but, but I think it's true that this is, you know, he is, a, you know, a centerpiece of this season in a way that, you know, ideally the race director is not. So that's a shame, maybe. Hopefully we get some Massey uh, interviews on Drive to Survive this next season. We'd love to hear more from Michael Massey. Uh, we did hear from some of the drivers afterwards. George Russell hopped on Twitter Feels like as soon as he got out of his car, this is unacceptable. Max is an absolutely fantastic driver who has had an incredible season, and I have nothing but huge respect for him, but what I just happened is absolutely unacceptable. I cannot believe what we've just seen. That's spicy talk. I mean, this is a guy who is going to be a Mercedes driver next season, but... I... He knows where his bread is buttered. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. I imagine we'll hear some more uh, coming out over the next couple of days, and it will be interesting to see what actually comes of this protest. But we're going to take our first break here. When we come back, we'll talk about the other 53 laps of the race and the other 18 cars, which were out there. I should say 17 cars. Stick around. We'll talk more after the break. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for those warm summer days. Pool season's coming soon, so I've been hitting the weights with Peloton and my guy Adrian Williams, trying to get my muscle on in order to expand my cannonball splash radius. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. It's easy to personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. And their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Shout out to Adriana Aditi, Andy, and Emma. I love you all so much. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to No Breaks. If you're just now joining us live, Max Verstappen won the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and became the first Dutch Grand Prix world champion, Formula One world champion, his first world championship in a dramatic finish that Mercedes is protesting, Graydon. 
against the classification established at the end of the competition relating to alleged breaches of Articles 48.8 and 48.12, two of my personal favorite articles Great in the FIA sporting regulations. Yeah, I like to go deep into the into the 48s personally. You know how I am, the whole 48. And some uh, uh, on Twitter, it was um, it was. Uh, Hazel Southwell, who writes for the Drive and RacingFans.net, you know, made an interesting point just now that they could even choose to take action here and nullify the race results, saying that the race director failed to follow the regulations and that disadvantaged them. But if they nullify the race result, Max is still the world champion. <laughs> so it's even with if the points gotcha. are tied, so like they, they kind of could. The only thing that would really change it is if they decided to reset the standings to lap 57 and then say, and that's the end of the race, which I, I think is in- incredibly unlikely um, at this point. So as much as I think. What, you don't want to see Lewis Hamilton win a record eighth championship <laughs> in a court battle? I think I, I it's it would it would feel fitting. Yes, it would it would feel fitting, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, totally, Graydon. Once we uh, you got me into watch and drive to survive, I told you my favorite part is when they're talking about the rules and regulations with the stewards and the marshals. That's the most thrilling part of any of the races. That's what we all love. You know, We're the, all here for the technicality. <laughs> the paperwork. Uh, okay. Speaking of Twitter, some other stuff has been coming across. Joel Embiid, as soon as the race was over, tweeted "Goat Stappen," along with him celebrating uh, Max's victory. I would say Joel Embiid is the perfect person to be a Max Verstappen fan, yeah, if I'm being quite right. honest. Honestly, that feels right. It is too perfect. Serious so not heel a surprise turn to me. stuff there, right? Yeah, serious heel action there. Like, whatever twists the knife, I feel like Joel is going to go for it. And... Oh, totally. <laughs> and, like, I mean, that guy is great at grifting his way to free throws in the NBA with his pump fakes and his physicality. So I think that is a perfect mix. He also said, Latifi, I hope you're safe, but you deserve a raise. Great race for Latifi there on the Red Bull squad. Uh, I'm also seeing here in the Slipstream team, Graydon, people are debating whether Toto Wolf is more of a Tom Thibodeau or more of a Greg Popovich. What's your take? Wow, 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 wow. I don't see him as a Tom Thibodeau. I, he's I think successful. it's the intensity, probably. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Toto is Toto wins a lot. Not that you know, I. But I think that I, I mean, Greg Popovich is an interesting comparison. There's a lot of intensity there. There's a lot of intellect. There's like long-standing, you know, you know, management of a championship organization. He feels to me maybe almost, you know, just to cross sports over a little bit, maybe more like a Bill Belichick. I know nobody like is kind of like a little bit like, you know, Bill Belichick and his sure. like kind of like cut sleeve hobo football coach look isn't, you know, it, he probably doesn't have the, you know, the buttoned up European style of a Toto, but, you know, the Patriots to me are probably the best American sports comparison for what Mercedes does. And this feels like a, Patriots Super Bowl loss, kind of, right? Like something you didn't see coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. And for a while there, it felt like a Patriots Super Bowl win. In particular, the Patriots beating the Atlanta Falcons after being down 28-3. to This could have easily been another Mercedes title grade. And let's get into what happened in the first 53 laps of this race because there was drama from lap one. 
Lewis Hamilton starting uh, second behind Max Hamilton. Hamilton, or Max Hamilton, Max Verstappen, who is in P1 on pole with, uh, with a soft tire after flat spotting a tire and qualifying. Yep. What does flat spotting mean? It means he just locks it up and he's like, and it's basically he's he's like rubbed off a piece of the tire on a specific spot. So it's not getting like consistent traction. It kind of like is what it sounds like. There's like a spot where you kind of sure. flattened out or rubbed it down and, and that, and that's going to cause vibrations. It's going to cause the tire to not stick as well. It's going to, it can, those vibrations you can get from flat spotting can mess up suspension. They can, you know, have all sorts of issues over the course of a race. And it just meant that there was no way for him to, realistically start on that tire at that point, which for them was incredibly suboptimal. It, it, it was not what they wanted to start on the sauce for sure. So. Yeah. The only good part of it would have been being able to get perhaps a better start than Hamilton and leaving him in the dust off the jump. But Hamilton gets a great start from P2 uh, gets by Hamilton on the start. It's in the middle of lap one. I think corner seven that Max makes a lunge on Lewis. They nearly touch. They maybe touch Hamilton takes the escape route and he takes it wide Verstappen style comes out way ahead still in P1 we hear pretty quickly on no investigation necessary because Hamilton's advantage was given back before the end of lap one it seemed like this was going to be the most dramatic call of the day and it, it did confuse me I get after what occurred in Brazil the you know, the idea to say, okay, we're just going to let them race here. You know, they don't touch. And despite the fact that Hamilton does gain a, a fairly large advantage from going off, you know, Brundle, Martin Brundle and a few other people were arguing, well, you know, unlike Brazil, you know, Max kept it entirely on the road and the door was open, which I do agree. I actually don't mm -hmm. think it was an inappropriate moment to take a lunge like that. I think that was just good hard racing. What I didn't make sense to me was the argument that Max gave back, oh, excuse me, that Lewis gave back the advantage. You know, he comes out well uh, up the road from Max. I never saw a point where he backed off and let Max close the gap. I, I don't really know what they meant by that. And Red Bull didn't either. They were unclear on you know when that had occurred. So, uh, you know, to me, it, it definitely feels like it would have been something where I'll tell you right now, if they had said, Lewis, you have to give the, you have to give the place back. I don't think anybody would have been shocked by that, including Mercedes. Like, so, uh, so it, it does feel a, a little peculiar, the choice they made, but you know, it's, you know, a few minutes later, it seemed like it didn't matter because Lewis was off up the road and, you know, and it, it seemed like he was going to perhaps even cruise to the title at that moment in time. Yeah, I thought it was more surprising that they didn't make Hamilton give the place back, and especially the reasoning they gave that he gave the advantage back. I thought he got like a twice as big advantage by the time all of that was done. Agreed. Uh, so that was very strange to me, but uh, the, the explanation, and like you're saying, and like all of, you know, they had a bunch of former champions on Rosberg, Hill, and Button. They were all basically saying, this is good racing. Like, this is hard racing. Even Brundle said at one point, Used to call it motor racing in my day, you know? And I think that's what it was. Like, that was a great move by Max to take the corner. Hamilton didn't have the space, but to me, he, he didn't give anything back there. That was, a, that was a strange call by Massey, and it definitely felt like 
that could have been the race um, because Hamilton then opens up a pretty big lead. And like we've been saying, Mercedes seemed to have the faster car for most of the day, but didn't matter eventually. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That was uh, that was strange to me. The only thing I can see is that if you're looking at the... If you're looking at all of the calls for the whole day, you would at least be able to say that Massey was consistent in that he screwed both teams a little (laughs) bit here and that both incidents, he kind of erred on the side of let's stay racing here, you know, rather than doing so rather than trying to make the calls with regards to where everybody's at. But man, weird stuff on that one. It definitely was, you know, everybody's immediate reaction from Crofty and Brundle to Horner and Max and everybody was he's going to need to give that place, you know, back. So the fact that it didn't at all happen is fairly shocking. I mean, it isn't fairly shocking, but, you know, again, I guess ends up, we'll feel like just like a a footnote in terms of the controversies of today, you know. Yeah, I think uh, Kravitz was eventually on the broadcast saying that (laughs) Mercedes' argument was that Hamilton, the reason he went off is because he avoided the collision. Agreed, but man, like... That was the total Verstappen move. Weird stuff. Anyways, the next interesting stuff between Mercedes and Red Bull starts happening on lap 20 and 21. An awesome duel between Checo Perez and Lewis Hamilton. Great. Uh, as far, if, if you throw out the very last lap and how that all came down to the very last couple of seconds, this was the coolest moment of the race, man. Checo playing defense, elbows out, him and Hamilton going back and forth through a few different corners. Then you eventually get that uh, shot of Verstappen coming in from behind because Checo has held Hamilton off so much. That was exciting, Graydon. Incredible racing and incredible defensive performance from Perez. At the time, it looked like you know, Verstappen's, you know, best and truly last hope to get back into this, into this title fight. And, you know, and, and for Perez to do all of that on old softs while Hamilton's on, you know, fresh new tires, truly spectacular racing. I think, you know, hopefully, you know, a a symbol of Perez's ability to maybe, you know, be a little bit more in the mix next year uh, now that he's a little bit more used to the car because he can do some truly awesome stuff out there on the track, you know, when he's locked in. So I, I thought one of the great instances of like t- team racing, you know, in the history of the sport is Perez battling him there and slowing up to let him catch him and then battling him to, to let Max close the gap. So. Yeah, that was wicked, um, and Bottas just, like, nowhere to be seen in this race. We might have gotten 30 seconds of Bottas driving, so no, he, <laughs> it was basically just flamed, Hamilton out there. He, he flamed out from the start. He, like, loses places on the start and then is yeah. never gets back in it. I Just a just a, a, a pretty unremarkable final race in a Mercedes from our boy Valtteri. I'm seeing quite a few people in the Slipstream team saying, teammate of the year for Checo Perez here. It was kind of a rocky season, I would say, for Perez. You know, maybe he didn't win as many races as you would expect him being in a little bit better car uh, compared to what he had been driving previously in his career. But the way he played holding off Hamilton and then the little DRS slingshot to sling Verstappen in uh, into P2, man, that was some special stuff. He ended up retiring pretty late in this race and I almost felt like that was them like like all right man take a lap take a little victory lap here you know like after somebody off the bench plays an incredible 15 minutes in the third quarter but is just gassed at the end that was special stuff from Perez yeah a, a little unclear on actually why they 
they made him bring the car in. It must have been some mechanical issue that they were concerned about. But you're right. His great teammate stuff goes back to before today. Yesterday, in qualifying, the move they pulled uh, to give him the toe and help Max set was what was just an absolutely monster qualifying lap. You know, was awesome. You know, a brilliant strategic move that they absolutely had to nail in order to have a chance for today. You know, Max doesn't really capitalize on it by losing out on the lead, you know, by the time they're at the first corner, but you know, it's, it's yeah. Perez was awesome. And you know, I, I'm sure they're happy to, you know, you know, I'm sure they're excited about what they can do together next year. So. Do you think that uh, Red Bull will be in a better spot bringing able to be having a little bit of continuity with Verstappen and Perez compared to Russell now replacing Botas there for Mercedes? You know, it's, it's, it's tough to say, you know, Pat Swoboda makes a great point over here in the comments, which is that, you know, the, with the, the such large changes to the regulations in 2022, I think it's really unclear who's going to land where. We're going to see some meaningful movement in the standings. It's just totally unclear on where it's going to come from. I think there's good reason to suspect that teams like Red Bull and Mercedes that have huge strategic advantages in terms of talent and capital and infrastructure will continue to be right near the top of the grid. But there's, there's, you know, you always see big movement in the standings every time there's a major regulatory change, you know, and, and so next year is going to be wild in that regard, which is super fun. I, I love it. I love to think that you might see somebody you know, fighting for podiums who was totally out of the picture this year. So are, I guess I'm always a little unsure about how much a teammate can actually help in a race, but this one to me was kind of like put a stamp on how you can actually use two cars out there to your benefit, because it's very strange to look at the constructor standings at the end of the season. Uh, Mercedes won this thing pretty easily from a constructor standings standpoint, because Botas finished 36 points ahead of Perez here at the end of things. Perez finishing P4 on the season. Bottas P3 on the season behind Verstappen and Hamilton, of course. Um, does Hamilton have a better shot if Bottas is anywhere near uh, near these guys in this race? It definitely helps. I think it creates complexity if he can put pressure on Max, you know, you know, run the risk of, you know, affecting Max's pit window, you know, even... Uh, even when Max pitted, you know, he had already gained such a lead on Botas that he was, you know, he came out only behind Signs and, you know, maybe Norris, I think. You know, he came out in front of Leclerc, which is that moment where Leclerc kind of went wildly off the track for a second there. But that, you know, so Botas is still behind all those guys. If he, if Botas has the pace to be in front of him there and can do a Perez-like defensive moment, it totally changes, you know, how close he is to Lewis you know, totally covers off on, you know, any fears that they might have about the power of the undercut, things like that. You know, it could have had a huge effect, but he just wasn't in the mix, right? He just wasn't even close to being able to impact it. So, Yeah, he went swimming right afterwards, which is, you know, fun for Botas, at least. Um, What do you think Mercedes is going to do with their Constructors Championship trophy? Is that like a doorstop? Maybe give it to Batas on his way out. Just yeah, like, yeah, you, know, you can have this one in your house. Second. Yeah, it's, it's, they've got a lot of them. So you might as well just, you know, throw it in the closet, let it collect some dust. It is actually interesting how much the Constructors' Championship does take a backseat to the Drivers' Championship, how much it kind of doesn't feel like the title um, in quite the same yeah. way. You know, it's, 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 it, they certainly don't take 
the same pride in it that they do in the drivers championship. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's all about those number ones out there, Graydon. We're seeing a lot of people in the Slipstream team mentioning that this is Red Bull's last year with Honda as their engine manufacturers. Do you think that's going to play a factor next year? I know they're taking over making their own engines, but they're getting guidance basically from Honda engineers on how to keep building this same similar engine. Yeah, they basically kind of like bought the you know Honda you know you know manufacturer send us the blueprints yeah you know it there, there will be a lot of continuity for next year you've got to wonder if a lack of kind of organizational continuity or that support from Honda just cause a slight blip in the progress of the engine you know those sort of handovers are complicated and you know is it going to cause any sort of interruption to the pace of development it it may it may you know but at the same time you know the regs for the engine have you know, comparatively minimal changes to next year. So a lot of the advancements that Honda have made in their years with Red Bull will still be applicable. So it's, it's, it's probably, I definitely know I'm pretty positive that Christian Horner wasn't thrilled to hear that Honda was stepping away, but it's, it's, you know, is what it is. And Red Bull's taking a big leap kind of getting into the engine manufacturing game. That's a whole different level of complexity here. Is it unusual to change your engine supplier after a championship? I would have to imagine, yes. Yeah, yeah, I would say that it's, you know, fairly, you know, fairly uncommon unless there's some sort of fallout or something like that. But in this instance, I don't even know if I, I feel like they're changing their engine manufacturer in name only. You know, it's it's like, it's, it's not as if they're now going to a Renault engine or something like that. So. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, the NBA switched from a Spalding ball to a Wilson ball, but allegedly it was all the same leather and same factories. People are still complaining about it, though, Graydon. So I'm sure we'll hear some more news from the Red Bull camp next year. But that's for next year. Graydon, you got anything else on Mercedes or Red Bull from uh, this race or from this season? No, other than, you know, I, you know my hope is, is that they all do it again next year. I think it's really cool after, you know, a number of seasons in which, you know, Mercedes had been especially dominant, you know, that to see a season like this, it's truly wild uh, and kind of more than, uh, you know, and, you know, as, as close of a race as a title race as I've seen in my entire life, all of my years of watching, you know, maybe any of us, unless you go back to the 70s or something. Well, right? all of it, my four years of watching, this was no doubt the most thrilling so. title race. And like, like I said earlier, Verstappen, a totally deserving champion. He was, he was killing it through the first two thirds, basically of this season. Hamilton put on a great charge uh, to make it close to make it come down to the very last lap of the last race. But uh, it wasn't meant to be for Lewis to break history, become the eighth time world champion. Instead, we get a different bit of history. Verstappen taking home his first title, the first one for the Netherlands as well. These two were miles ahead of the field for the entirety of this race, for the entirety of this season. I know that Hamilton is like a, a candidate for the GOAT, but where do you put Verstappen? Is he going to be an all-time great? It sure feels like it because he's still young. This is his first championship. We obviously don't know what happens with the new regulations or what Red Bull is going to be doing with their engine, but that's a young dude who doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I, I do think Verstappen is definitely on the path to being an all-time great. You know, I think he got it. he's got a lot of work to do. I think, you know, there you, you got to rack up a few titles to make it into the conversation with the likes of Senna and Prost and, you know, Schumacher, et cetera. But he certainly 
has the potential to do that. He's very young. He's incredibly talented. There are still opportunities for improvement. Even I would argue, you know, he's a fantastic driver. His ability to hook it up on a single lap is among the very best, but there's still elements of his race craft that continue to evolve and improve. So I think that, you know, there's a, there's, you know, he, he, he probably will be remembered as one of the greats, but there's a lot of work to do between now and then. Well, we can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see season four of Netflix's Drive to Survive. Unfortunately, no Verstappen celebrating his championship in Netflix, though. Maybe considering the reason he bowed out was because he didn't like the narratives that were created around it. Probably the smart move from Verstappen. I can imagine him getting a little bit of a villain edit, but I imagine... uh, Christian Horner will gladly take his place uh, for getting these sort of interviews. Fun stuff to watch. We'll talk about everybody else when we come back from our last break here. I got to get something off my chest. Nothing drives me crazier than sending a message to a group chat and getting no response. That's why I'm a big emoji responder. Love a hang loose hand or a salute. But man, it hurts when you send a message and get nothing back. Ouch. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash no dunks today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash no dunks. This episode of No Dunks is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to No Breaks. We just watched the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. The Formula One season is over. We talked about Max Verstappen winning his first world championship. We talked about the dramatic final laps. So let's get into everything else out there. Graden Verstappen, P1, Hamilton, P2. From there we go, Carlos Sainz joining them on the podium at P3, followed by Yuki Tsunoda, who had a great weekend. Gasly, Botas, Norris in P7, Fernando Alonso in 8th, Esteban Ocon in 9th, Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, sorry, in P10, followed by Vettel, Ricardo, Ricardo Stroll, Schumacher, Perez, Latifi, Giovinazzi, Russell. Uh, those last three did not finish, as well as Kimi Raikkonen, who did not finish in his last race in Formula 1. Um, Graydon, what stuck out to you from the best of the rest? Great race, for the Ferrari guy, Carlos Sainz. Great, incredible, incredible end of the season for Carlos Sainz. You know, lands him fifth in the overall standings, kind of best of the rest title. And I think you know, he's got to feel 
awesome going into next year. I think there's very good reason to believe that Ferrari's car will be more competitive next season. They spent a lot of the year focused on the 2022 regulations. At some point, they stopped focusing on this car and turned 100% of their attention to next season's car. And I think that you know there's a lot of reasons to suspect that both he and Charles Leclerc will be very competitive again. I do fully expect to see one, if not both of them, on the top set of the po- top step of the podium and win races in 2022. That's a prediction of mine. I think Carlos Sainz gets his first race win next year. So, I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, and their other guy, I mean, huge race from Yuki, though, too. Yuki Sonoda bringing it home in fourth. I mean, that's got to easily be his best finish of the season, right? So, and that's, uh, after what's a great weekend in general. He looked yeah. great in qualifying. You know, he just really felt comfortable. You know, hopefully that, you know, is a symbol of a, a, a big step forward for him and that, you know, some of the kind of the self-inflicted errors and the kind of rookie messiness that we've seen from him, we're kind of that he'll have, you know, worked through those kinks and we'll have a much more complete competitive season next year. So. And he's probably still the F1 rookie of the year, though the competition was not exactly sterling this year. The only other first year drivers were Schumacher and Mazepin, right? So yeah, who were who in was... a class by himself, I would say, was Sonoda as a rookie. But I think it's interesting you mentioned that Ferrari stopped working on their car for this season, focused all of their energy on 2022, because when it came down to it, Graydon, Ferrari finishes P3 in the Constructors' Championship, well ahead of McLaren, who looked to be the team to beat around the halfway mark of the season. What happened there? How did Ferrari stop working on their cars and get better? Meanwhile, McLaren kind of blew it, uh, starting with uh, Norris spinning out in the rain. Yeah, I mean, that you're right. It, it does really start with the, the Russian Grand Prix and you know, where Norris looks moments away from winning his first race and then suddenly ends up, you know, cratering after they don't come in for wets. That is a, you know, they just never get their mojo back. I I don't know whether part of the issue is, you know, that they turned their attention as well to 2022. A lot of the teams were steadily doing that, you know, over time, siphoning off more and more resources to focus on next year's car. And that just had... You know, a bigger negative impact on them than it did others. There's some of it's just bad luck in there, you know, a punctured tire here, a punctured tire there, a first lap incident here or there, you know, and suddenly Norris, after a strong qualifying, goes back to the bottom of the points, you know, kind of group or something like that. You know, some incidents there, I think it's, it's you only need a handful of those to kind of spoil a season, you know, but um, definitely you know, de- definitely got to feel de- McLaren's got to be disappointed because coming out of Monza, uh, they looked like, you know, they were head and shoulders above you know, any other midfield team. So, that's- yeah. Do you think uh, McLaren is disappointed in the per- in the performance of Ricardo this season? He had his race win, but I know when we did our first podcast after the first half of the season, part of the talking points was Ricardo's really struggled in the car. Then he obviously put it together in the middle sector there. Not great in these last few races for Danny Rick. Yeah, for sure. I, I th- he 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 definitely underperformed down the stretch here as well. I, I, again, a little bit flabbergasting. I, I you know it, it it seemed like it was all clicking, and then it kind of fell apart for him again. I mean, he you know he did even meaningfully worse than Norris. You know, finishing outside the points in a number of the races to finish the year. So I I don't know. You got to be. I think Dave 
However, you know, like Ferrari, they've, you know, they've certainly been focused on the car next year. I do think they'll be competitive next year. They'll, they'll continue to have probably the best engine in the sport with the Mercedes engine powering the car. And, you know, I, I think they'll be looking to also compete at a very high level. But like I said, little, you know, technical innovations or ways of solving the puzzle that is the new regs, you know, can have a huge effect. And we've seen teams make really big leaps you know, and kind of come out of nowhere in terms of their competitiveness. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to predict exactly where everybody falls next year. Unfortunately, I'm going to ask you to do just that right now, Graydon. Eric Harper in the Slipstream team says, I know it's early, but what team does everyone think will make the biggest jump next year? You've mentioned that a bunch of these teams are already working on their cars. Well, I, so I think there's kind of two ways to answer this question. I I think in some sense, I actually do think Ferrari will make a huge, I know they were third and in fact, they could like maybe even be third again next year, but I think the nature of the leap will be huge. They will go back. A stronger to, third. Yeah, they will go back to competing for race wins as opposed to competing for fifth and sixth, you know, in a race, which I think there's a huge difference in that. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Alpine make a big leap you know, they've got a lot of resources there. There is a championship pedigree, you know, in that Renault organization going back. I, you know, I, I, people have been kind of waiting for them to make that leap back up into the top, you know, group or back, not, but into a com more competitive sure. part of the grid. You know, I don't suspect that. You know, and then Williams is another interesting one. You know, they made good progress this year. We continue to see them make progress. It feels like they had nice momentum, you know, and will and will can they sustain that? But it's it's this is as tough a season as ever to predict where things shake out next year. So. What is it usually like with a change in regulations? Is it a massive reshuffling of the field, or is it you know the good teams stay good? It can be. I mean, the, you know, lest we forget Mercedes, who we think of as you know, such a dominant force was, you know, comparatively mediocre team, you know, they, it, it, you know, it, in the midfield prior to the new regulations and the introduction of the V6 hybrid engine, but they just nailed it from the get go. You know, they were the ones that solved that puzzle fastest and it completely transformed, you know, the, the sport for the, you know, for the next eight years or so. Right. So it's, it's, so people definitely, you know, make huge leaps uh, and it, you oftentimes see big regulatory moments ushering big regulatory changes ushering in an era of dominance for a net new team so mm -hmm. it is possible that you know we're looking at the next five to ten years being you know dominated by you know somebody who we think of as a secondary uh, a secondary team right now That'd be exciting to see. So final constructor standings for the season. Mercedes followed by Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, Williams, Alfa Romeo, and Haas finished the season with zero points, unfortunately. Of all those teams, Graydon, that, did, that were not Mercedes and Red Bull, I know you're a Ferrari guy, I'm a McLaren guy, but I got to tip my cap. I enjoyed the Alpine team this year. I fun. was not a big Alonzo fan, but he came back with a joy for driving and had a bunch of really fun moments uh, defending Hamilton. Uh, the time he asked uh, Ocon to defend against Hamilton like a lion. I just thought, I don't know, his general joy for life was different this time around. I really appreciated it. On the flip side, 
A little disappointed in Aston Martin, only 77 points. They finished seven in the constructor standings. They had a great season in the year prior with the pink Mercedes, but as it turns out, when they had to build their own car, they got hit a little harder with the rake regulations than Merck did. Yeah, they definitely didn't, uh, you know, the, the choice to basically copy the 2019 Mercedes last season proved very savvy in the moment, but very costly in the long run because it didn't set them on a path, you know, that that was uh, aligned with the regs this year. That's definitely disappointment, huge loss of momentum for them. Um, you know, that, and I agree, you know, Alpine had it, lest we forget, it wasn't just that Alonso came on, but Ocon became a race winner this year, Yeah, uh, which is, you know, that, which is, I think coming into the season, not something any of us would have predicted. So what is Ocon's rep generally? Because I remember him as the number two to Perez back when I think they were force India, right? In the very first season. And then obviously Ocon is gone. Uh, very quickly after that, but he was always kind of around in the mix. And then he had a great year for Alpine this year. Yeah. I mean, I think people have always thought he was talented. He says Toto Wolf is actually his manager has been very involved in his career. So it's always the been, weirdest thing, man. which is so peculiar. The way that like another team's principal would be involved in the career of a race yeah. for a different team. I, I, insanely incestuous sport. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, weird. So weird. Like, I don't like, what if, you know, I know. Yeah. I was like, what I was like, I, oh look, there's Alex Albon. He's celebrating yeah. with Max Verstappen. Yeah. I guess they're what buddies if, again. Yeah, what if Tom Thibodeau was like Demar Derozan <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. Right? It just would. It's just like that would make no sense. So I think. So it's. I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I think people think he's talented. He, he doesn't feel to me like one of the guys. I think he has a you know, good career ahead of him. I put him behind that. There's a, an elite group of young guys on the grid, you know, Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, and then we'll we'll see if Russell can join them this next year. And then I think you have to acknowledge that Carlos Sainz has now joined them as well as people who, you know, we perceive as having the potential to really compete for a title. I don't put Ocon in that group, but, you know, but nonetheless, I, you know, he certainly is super talented, deserving of a seat. And, you know, a great, you know, a, a great guy to have as a second driver. So I was happy to hear you put Carlos Sainz into the championship contenders pale there, Graydon. Great season for Sainz had, I think they said um, he was tied with Hamilton and Norris for most point finishes this season. He had finished in the points like the last 15 races of the year or something like that. And yeah, really pushed Leclerc. Not? Yeah, how could you not? I mean, he ends up finishing ahead of Leclerc. You know, that's probably because of a few... I still actually would argue that Leclerc is the more talented of the two drivers. I think it's mostly strategic missteps and misfortune that kind of lead to Leclerc losing some points here or there. Also, Leclerc's, you know, the biggest differentiation between them two is, you know, Sainz is is so good at bringing the car home. He's so consistent. Leclerc's has you know, kind of his risk tolerance, his appetite for taking a chance is much higher, and that leads to just these these DNFs or these instances where things go awry, you know, similar to Norris in Russia, he also wanted to stay out of those tires and he ends up cratering from the top five, you know, and, and I think finishing outside the points moments like that end up having a huge impact when that race between fifth and seventh was so tight. But, th- but I think, you know, it, it just seems to me like if you're, if you're signs and you're hyper consistent and you're hyper competitive and you're in a top car, y- you could easily be right there. You could easily be right there. 
Totally agree. Looking forward to seeing it. Got a great question from Jack Small who asks, what driver do you think is going into 2022 under the most pressure? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I, I think there's a couple guys come to mind. George Russell has to be on the list. You're you're up in the you're in the big seat now, you know, that you know, you've got to and it's and the expectation is to compete. Mercedes absolutely will want to be competing again for you know, the constructors championship and they'll need in what, if it's another close drivers championship, they'll need a second driver that can actually assist Lewis Hamilton, unlike Valtteri Botas and, and can be a factor in some of these races. So the pressure on Russell to make good on this opportunity, you know, is a big one. I actually think Checo Perez is, you know, he's, don't get me wrong. I mean, Red Bull's over the moon with Perez's performance this weekend. I think he's very loved inside the organization, but I also think he had a middling year overall. They were never really in the mix for the constructors' title, partly because of his inability to perform on Saturdays, and you know, just in general, you know, he certainly didn't nail it, you know, from end to end. So you want to see a better season from him. And the last guy I'll mention is, is Daniel Ricardo, who has got to get his form back, or else you, know, you start. You know, it's they were supposed to be even coming into this year norris and ricardo were kind of you're both supposed to be mm -hmm. competitive lando absolutely looks like the number one driver inside that organization right now so you if if you're ricardo i think you you've got to figure out a way to to get your group back yeah i'm wondering if he's like feeling this is going to be the red bull situation all over again where you've got a hotshot star that you're there trying to support and they just want you to support because i'm with you ricardo needs to bring it a little bit more because he's at least the guy who's pitched that could possibly win a championship depending on the car and the way things transpire. So I would love to see him step it up uh, next season for McLaren as well. But that's for next season. Graydon, you got any final thoughts on the 2021 F1 season? It's just absolutely insane. I just cannot believe how this all went down i cannot believe the way things ended today i can't believe that we went into today's race even on points for the championship i can't believe that it came down to the last lap you know max passing hamilton on literally the very last lap of the season after you know an incredibly controversial you know an incredibly uh, you know controversial call by the race director just madness we may i think we should relish it because we may never see anything like this again yeah we may. It, it it this this is definitely one for the history books and and it, something this crazy may never be replicated so. definitely the perfect season to start a formula one podcast because if we were talking about any other year these championships are usually done like four races before the season is over so to actually have it come down to the very last seconds man that was exciting stuff there were so many times that Verstappen and Hamilton were you know actually going wheel to wheel sideboard to sideboard smashing into each other they had so many incidents I don't understand how they are going to be able to get this into one season of drive to survive it feels like just Mercedes versus Red Bull could be an entire 10 episodes how many times these two uh, got into little skirmishes out there on the track and the intervening uh, talks with the stewards and the marshals and the regulations and all that stuff. There was so much. And I also love to see after the race was over, actual respect between Verstappen and Hamilton. Like these guys have been yeah. going at each other hard 
for nine months, basically, at this point. And afterwards, like, they just were dapping each other up. I thought it was cool to see Hamilton's dad going over and congratulating Verstappen as well. A lot of class from all parties involved uh, after, like, a super, like, super dramatic season. Yeah, I I honestly, you know, I, I don't think anybody would have blamed any of the participants if they had just kind of kept their distance in that moment. But Hugh, you know, very classy move from Hamilton to come over and congratulate Verstappen. A lot of respect up there on the podium. You know, I, I certainly know that I don't know if I would have <laughs> been able to <laughs> quite the way Lewis did. So I so it's definitely a, uh, you know, great to see that. And I'm sure that he'll be back. You know, Lewis has, has definitely still got it. So expect to see him fighting for the title next year yeah you would have to imagine and it's been a long time since lewis hamilton finished a season without a championship so maybe even a little more motivation to come back and actually put number eight on the board i don't know what else you got Graydon? anything else on formula one in 2021 no man i mean i'm just really excited for next year i think the the changes we're going to see, the technical changes are, I think, an excellent step. I think they're going to lead to much uh, more competitive racing, ability to follow more closely, you know, a lot more overtaking, you know, they're designed to aid that. So I think that'll be a really cool. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're even if... It, even if we can't replicate a title race that's as razor thin as this, I think we're in store for a bunch of great racing next year. Um, so there's no reason to be anything but bullish on, you know, on the 2022 season. So cannot wait. But before we get to that, we're going to have the off season. Good question here. Is the F1 off season, anything like the NBA off season or no, because they do it in the middle of the season. Yeah, I, I, I would actually say no, because silly season is happens like mid-year and what is an incredibly peculiar phenomenon. They, you know, they decide where you're going to drive next year, right in the middle of the previous season. So that's so I mean, what if free agency was happening like, right? Amazing. Now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be wild. Right. So I so I, I don't it tends to be a little quieter. You know, there's a lot of whispers out there, but even the teams themselves you know, you don't, you know, they're in the wind tunnels, they're in the simulators, they're working on the cars, but you don't really know how things are going to shake out until you get to winter testing in Barcelona and you start to see, you know, how the cars perform on the track. So that'll be, that'll be a huge moment, but, you know, it's definitely not, it's not the the mania that the, you know. <laughs> it's like midnight the, madness or whatever they do in yeah. college basketball, right? Where they're like, they're like, oh, we're allowed to practice now. Come in. Come to Cameron Indoor and see these guys running around. Totally. Yeah, first time to see him, and that'll probably be the next time you see us. Sometime uh, in the new year, the people are saying, we need a Formula One Grand Prix no breaks recap after every single race. We shall see. We'll see about that. We shall see. Thank you, Graydon, so much for giving us your time and your expertise in the Formula One world, this has been super duper fun. You know, we started doing it once a month, then it became once every couple of weeks. Suddenly we got a weekly Formula One podcast. Uh, this has been really awesome. Really enjoyed it, Graydon. Please go follow Graydon on Twitter, at Mr. Gordian. Did you watch uh, the holiday episode of the Great British Bake Off yet? No, did they release it? I didn't even realize they had released it. Is Yeah, it, it came, I think it, it came out Friday. Uh, you'll be happy to know that they brought back one of the worst bakers in Bake Off history, and they haven't improved at all. So that was very exciting to see. Fun times. Absolutely love to hear it.
So that's I I am I am well, I'm probably gonna go watch that right now. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. You're gonna love Prue's blue hair. It looks incredible. Uh, fun yeah. times, JD. Thank you so much uh, for producing things down there in the paddock, and thank you to the Slipstream team and the Pod Squad for joining us on this ride. You can follow Graydon on Twitter at Mr. Gordian. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, basically anywhere there is social media at No Dunks Inc. If you want to hear more from No Breaks, shoot us an email, nodunks at theathletic.com, and tell us how awesome this podcast is. And hey, subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash nodunks. Silly season may be over. The Formula One season may be over, but in about three days here, Graydon, we're getting to silly season in the NBA when all of these contracts that were signed during the offseason are finally able to be traded. It feels very silly season right now with uh, the way things are going with Lillard and Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. Maybe even Bradley Beal is back in the mix. So, yeah, we'll go from one crazy sport to another. No breaks. B-R-E-A-K-S this time. Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy, people.